Hi, I'm Clara, and this is the Practice with Clara podcast, where we go into yoga philosophy and how it makes your life better. Subscribe to the podcast. All right, welcome everyone to the Practice with Clara podcast. You're sitting with Stephanie and Clara, and we have a wonderful guest today, Insia Rasiwala Finn who is an Ayurvedic counselor, yogini, and fellow yoga teacher, and mom Mananda. And she's uh, joining us from Bali today, so thank you so much for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so I'd love to just kind of give a little bit of background of, uh, of INSEA and how I know you. And, and uh, you used to live here in Vancouver before you guys started traveling um, the world. Mm -hmm. And you are, uh, as I said, a yoga teacher, but you also have a deep passion for Ayurveda, which is why we thought to have you on the, um, to have you on the podcast to share your experience of Ayurveda. So. Awesome. Thanks for having yeah, thanks for coming. <laughs> so, Steph, India, you want like, to? Yeah, yeah, we like to start with three semi-random questions for our listeners to get a feel for who you are before we jump into uh, okay. all the Ayurveda. So, surprise! So, the first questions. question. I've never heard these before, by the way. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't send you these. So what era would you want to live in and why? If you could choose any era that you would want to live in, what would it oh be God. and why? That is so wild. You know, it's so wild because um, you, you'll, I think you'll get this from me. There's, I have so many, it's, it's so hard for me to pinpoint exactly the one mm. thing that, you know, I want, I want, and this has always been my, struggle if you will or a challenge in life is how to how to bring everything and just go okay no this is it but just I think about a week ago I was having this conversation with Ian where I said you know sometimes I wish I'd been born in a time before technology <laughs> and yet, mm. you know and I, I just had this moment where because we've been um you know we're just we're using it so much, especially right now, being in Bali, doing so much of our work online. But I really um, was noticing how much it wipes, it can wipe me out, you know, and just kind of yes. drain me of energy. And and so I just had this moment of, wow, you know, that, that whole nostalgia thing of like, what if we lived in a time before computers? What, what would that have been like, you know? And would we have related more... Um, in person with more presence with with, mm -hmm. with our children with their yes i know that would be developing differently you know so just thinking about all of those things so what era exactly that is i don't know but i think i really had that craving of even being here in bali um where we are living so much with um the rhythms of nature but really feeling oh what would it have been like to have you know sent a telegram <laughs> to people instead of an email? You know, and <laughs> a response yesterday. You know, so um, so yeah. I feel like I feel like pre-technology, people were probably a lot more patient because, like, sending a letter could take weeks, if not months, weeks or months. Yeah, right? it's like overnight. <laughs> totally, and actually, I remember this. Um, and it's, I mean, these are things that I want for my son too in this age, but. 
Um, when I was 16, I left home for a year and came to the U.S. actually as an exchange student. And my mother wrote me letters. I still have those mm. letters. And she, went, and she would insert like little newspaper cuttings and things like that in those letters. And just like random so things cool. that she thought that I would find interesting. And there would be a little note. And, and the letter would have been written over the course of like two weeks. So it wasn't a static thing. It was like you know, a dynamic letter of like, oh, this happened. And then we did this. And then we, you know, and we're thinking about you. And I still have them, you know, because they, mm. they're just filled with so much love. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The next, the next question is, what's your superpower? Hmm. Again, lots of things, <laughs> but um, I think, well, it, it, I think in different contexts, but I think one of the things that I do believe I do really well, and I think this infuses almost everything I do in life um, mm -hmm. as a mom, in relationship, in all these different aspects is sounds kind of strange, but to bring, um, to create a ritual around things mm. and, and to bring, to bring beauty into things, mm. you know, I, um, just, just simple things like lighting a candle when my son goes to bed and he loves it. And we've been doing this since he was a baby, you know, and, um, and just so, so really making moments of time precious. So really you know, bringing that into life because Beautiful. life passes us by so quickly and we forget how to how to draw that in. And we, we get that in the yoga practice. And this is one of the reasons why I love being in a yoga class or and teaching and offering and sharing yoga because we make that time precious again. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Ritual. Yeah. That goes yeah, with your <laughs> yeah. yeah. So last question. What are three things you never leave the house without? And if you can name three physical things and three abstract things. Mm. <laughs> well, right now, unfortunately, even though we're talking about how I'd love to live in an era before technology, one of the things I don't leave home without is this device. Yeah. yeah. Telephone. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what else have I got in here? Always lip balm because my lips are always dry. Good one. Occasionally in Bali. And um, actually, um, totally, yeah, not practical. The jewelry, I always wear something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it always makes me feel um, not just stressed, but also protected. Yeah. Those are three physical things. Um, abstract. Um, the um, pre um, gosh, presence in a way because just mm -hmm. like starting over in this moment each time, and I feel like I'm really doing that right now. Um, especially after having a motorbike accident a couple of weeks ago in Bali. Um, every time I step out of the house, it's like, okay, I'm not going to replay that past incident. And I'm stepping back into this 
extreme in a new way. And this is a new yes. really like reminding myself of that all the time. Um, and then um, lightness, because there's so much um, heaviness in our world right now. So yes. really consciously focusing on, um, you know, what are the things that do light me up and how, how beautiful here in this moment again enjoying this time and um and then the last one i would say is um focus because um as well chat i tend to get pretty airy about a lot of things so i really have to i can't just stop and do all of these things i need to actually commit to whatever so i i'm that person who I, I need a list of like things that I need to accomplish because if I don't have that list, I will, I will, I will float around. Yeah. So, <laughs> so very important. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> I love the idea of focus and presence and having a list, which I think is also important because you're like, what am I yeah. doing? Why am I out here? Oh, yeah. If not, you're like, oh, look oh, yeah. over here. And I ran into this person and totally. Totally. And I'm so, so guilty of that, you know, and especially with, I mean, it became so evident when after having Ananda, because he'd be like, mommy, everywhere we go, you talk to people. Need to pull it back a little bit, you know. I'm going on a mission. I'm doing, I'm yeah, doing yeah, so yeah. I really, and, and I feel, you know, I used to be that person who would feel bad about like, okay, I've got to get stuff done. And I'm just like, nope, <laughs> blinders on. I need, to, yeah. I need to get it done. And then, and then I can chill. Beautiful. Yeah. Really being, really being conscious of that. Yeah. How do you feel like Ayurveda has um, helped you kind of understand your own, your own, your own essence or being, and then how to kind of maneuver? Because it sounds like you know it's it's been a, it's been years of experience of you being like, okay, if I if I don't focus or like set my intention in this direction, like I can you know, which can oh, also yeah. be beautiful, go in many different yeah. directions, and yeah. and so. Um, you know how oh i mean fully and completely you know it's um it's interesting because there's um a really sweet book one of the ones i do recommend to students all the time uh dr bassam thoughts the mm -hmm. science signs of self-healing and we had a conversation with about it when he was one of our instructors at mount madonna and of course i did and he said you know i called it the science of self-healing because i wanted a a hook for people to get into Ayurveda. And really it is about self and what is self-healing? Well, the first step to self-healing is self-knowledge, right? Yes. And, and so, so, I mean, when you think about Ayurveda from that perspective, I think, especially in the West, that is a hook because people, people want to know about themselves. It's like, everyone's <laughs> into, you know, everyone's into typology. Everyone's into, yes. oh, what's my enneagram what's my human design you know um and and so it's exciting for people and it's a really good gateway in but um and and it's and it's interesting because it's different from the way ayurveda's quite often presented in india like in india when it's mm. presented you don't think about 
Ayurvedic doctor, which I did as a child, they would never tell you, oh, you have, you know, you are this much vata, this much pitta, this much kapha yes. in terms of process. They would never talk about that. They would just look at you and go, oh, this is what's going on. And yes, we see these imbalances or balance and things that we need to balance. And we're going to give you the appropriate medicine and tell you to do these things to help you. Right. So there wasn't that kind of that um, focus on, oh, this is who you are and this is what we're going to do. And there's both a danger as well as, you know, goodness in that, yes. in the sense that in the West, I think people often get too stuck up on, oh, this is who I am and this is my dosha and this is why I am the way I am. Whereas my perspective on it all over all these years of working with it has been, okay, well, these are my natural tendencies. These are the environment, environmental factors that can either exacerbate things or alleviate them. Mm -hmm. And here's what I need to do to work with these things, to bring them more into balance. And at the same time, I have to remind myself that this is not necessarily who I am. Yes. It, it's an essence of me that is separate and true and deeper and where everything is whole and connected. But life happens, things happen, and little bits of ourselves, you know, we start to um, lose energy and we, uh, and we need to figure out these ways of getting it back. Yes. Yeah. So for me, Ayurveda has really been that offering and that journey of, yes, figuring out who I am. But um, actually another teacher, and I like to quote teachers because I really value the work that they've done yes. in order to bring this work to us. You know, it's important, I think, and it's something that's being lost a lot right now in the age of Instagram where people just quote anything and tell you it's theirs. And I really have an issue with that. And yes. I really, I kind of recoil when I see that. So I believe, I think this came from uh, Dr. Svoboda years ago. And he was one of my first teachers in Ayurveda and really kind of, kind of opened that river, if you will, of knowledge. And he said, you know, you are, it's, it's like thinking of the, Thinking about who you are in Ayurveda, especially in terms of the doshas, which is where a lot of people start, is um, it's like the doshas are like the virus in your computer. Mm. They're not, right? So you can use this idea of a blueprint as a map, but you need to figure out, you can't just say, oh, you know, I'm going to do this because I'm like this. Like, because I'm because I have so much air and so much vata, I can just I can't keep to a deadline. I can't pay my bills. Um, hi, baby, <laughs> and uh, you know whatever it is. But I need to look at that and go, okay, this is who I am. These are my tendencies, and as um, a self-inquiring, ideally responsible adult who's interested or human who's interested in growth and personal growth, I can make choices to help bring myself more into balance by doing these things because I understand that when I go down this path, I can get very easily pulled from that center. Yeah. 
So how did you initially come to Ayurveda? Because I also know that you're studying at the Ayurvedic Institute out of California, correct? Right now? It's the Ayurveda College at Mount Madonna. So how did I come to Ayurveda? Mm -hmm. So I I was really lucky to grow up in India, in Bombay, actually, um, which was a smaller city than it is now in those days. And um, I grew up in a family where um, a lot... there was a real focus. My um, my mother um, was really into preparing hot foods and making foods from scratch. So she did a lot of cooking. So did my grandmother. And my father actually practiced yoga. So I was kind of exposed to both yoga and this idea of um, using food as medicine from a very young age. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember there were always a lot of what I felt possibly as a child, there were a lot of rules around food. There were lots of things like, oh, we don't eat this food in this season. It's not right. We only eat this young garlic, for example, in the winter because the season allows us to digest the heat of the garlic. So food was always thought about in terms of the properties of that food and the effect it would have on you. And uh, another thing my mother realized very early, I used to have a tendency towards these sort of sinus infections and colds a lot as a kid. Um, So she really used food as medicine. And she would say, nope. And it was, you know, the classic thing as a child, you wanted ice cream. And she'd say, nope. And say, you can have ice cream at, you know, maybe after lunch on a hot day, but not at dinner because it's going to give you, make you congested at night. So even as a young child, I had you know, a little bit of these little, um, you know, smatterings, if you will, these little snippets of knowledge. And um, I didn't really think much of it, of anything, until I moved to the U.S. for university and college. Oh. And, and then I started to eat that food and I it didn't, feel so good in my system Mm -hmm. and um and speaking of letters i actually you know in those days email had just started um but i would still write letters home and my mom had kept them and in a lot of them actually i wrote oh i don't feel so good and i'm kind of stressed out and i'm up all night working and you know studying for an exam or something then inevitably i would go through these phases of um, work really hard a really intense time. I was also running track in college and doing a bunch of other things. And then I would fall sick and the sickness would be cold and kind of the same tendencies that I had. And so after, after university, um, I moved to Chicago and I was actually working again in an intense deadline oriented um, industry in advertising, um, which um, was a very similar kind of schedule. You worked so hard on a campaign. You had a lot of late nights. Um, and then, um, you know, in that aftermath, I would inevitably kind of fall sick. And the sickness, again, was just a cold. It would last a few days. And I knew something wasn't right. And this is yeah. also when I um, restarted doing yoga. And the yoga was helping, but it wasn't enough. And so I really started looking again at food as a source of healing. And that was kind of what really 
took me down that the path eventually that led me to Ayurveda. Yeah. And so how long have you been studying Ayurveda? So I would say probably since I was about 20, or 25. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. 15 years now, over 15 years. Yeah. And I still feel like I'm still just, you know, dipping into the surface and there's so much there. And Mm -hmm. and then of course, um, every time you go to India and you, um, you know, you even see a Vedya or a doctor and they just like, you know, look at you and they go, oh yeah, this is da 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 These are all the things that are wrong in just, you know, a split second and you're like, whoa, okay, this is a whole, <laughs> <laughs> a whole other level, you know, of knowledge, yes. wisdom. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. beautiful. T- touching on the, the food concept, see, I pulled a quote off your Instagram just because mm-hmm. I find it really interesting what you mentioned in this. So I'd like to read it and then I'll ask you the question okay. if you can speak to what you wrote. When I'm feeling out of sorts, I crave the food of my childhood. Perhaps that's where the term comfort food comes from. The foods that offer us a wave of sustaining and nourishing memories from the past. So I'm just wondering... Uh, like what your definition of like nourishing food is, if you could differentiate, because I think at least in America, comfort food can be seen as like breads and candy and things that aren't necessarily good for us. So what I love in this is A, the mention of childhood and the memories, like that that link of, yeah. of memory with your family or whoever you're sharing meals with. And then B, if you can speak to the difference between like a comfort food that is healthy and nourishing and you can give examples that you've made versus the kind of foods that are just going to deplete you no matter what your, your dosha is. Yeah. Gosh, there's so much there. I know. I was like, okay. (laughs) To start, what I'll say too is um, it's been, um, you know, I really, I really, I'm grateful to have lived in North America for much of my adult life um, because what it did um, is it really um, showed me, uh, you know, all of the extremes that people can live at. You know, you didn't didn't experience this so much in a place like India where things are changing in India now, but where culture, and by that I mean family culture, is more strong, right? And connections and ties are stronger and things have passed down generation through generation um, with traditions, right? And and there's a certain way of doing things. and, um, and, And the contrast in North America is, you know, there's a feeling of liberation and freedom because you throw so much of that out, come to these new shores, right? And this is what generations of immigrants have done. And what happened when you think about comfort food in North America was a lot of the foods that came from the old countries came to North America, but they sort of metamorphosed into their richer, sweeter, um, more um, enticing um, aspect or avatar, if you will. So it wasn't mm-hmm. the simple foods from home. And then those foods began because in this sort of diverse culture that, you know, started happening where, you know, there's Italian food and, and you know, um, 
British food and, you know, everything that came to Irish food, everything that came to North America with the first wave of immigration, you know, it just started to all get kind of combined. And then you have, you know, Mexican food and everything else. But it's like it's like the fattiest, richest version of what of their food you ate in your yes. home country. Right. Yes. And then that and, and then because there isn't this emphasis and tradition, those um the wisdom that probably went with that food in those countries lost. gets lost and gets muddy. And so you don't have this um, this true sharing, if you will, of what that might have meant in a certain context, right? So for me, when I think of comfort food and that quote, I that was really what I was thinking about was growing up and eating the foods at my mother's table. And... Having said that, I also recognize the privilege of having that because yes. there was a whole generation that missed out on eating home-cooked food because they were eating TV dinners and things like that and processed foods, right? When mm-hmm. that whole movement started happening, especially in North America. So, uh, and, and still to this date, when I go home, my mother always says, well, what do you want to eat? And I say, dal and rice. And, and that's all I want. And and this is and it's really funny because it's not it's 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 not a festive, it's it's not a fancy meal. It's in fact it's the simplest sort of most peasant food that you can probably eat. It's lentils stewed with spices, maybe some vegetables over simple rice. But there's um so much nourishment in that and yes. the spices and, and the spices you know, I like to think that the dal I make now is similar to the dal my mother makes because she's told me what spices to add in there, but she never gives me the right proportions. So it's always um, <laughs> a little bit of this, a little bit of that. <laughs> and find it, trying to find that taste of cold, you know. And, yes. Um, but to me, the, the nourishment is um, is that food and, yeah, and the love at the table, you know. And, and Ayurveda speaks a lot about that. It's like, don't cook when you're unhappy. Don't cook mm-hmm. when, um, when you're angry because you're going to put that emotion into the food. Into the food. You know, and it reminds me there was a book, I think, was it like... Like Water for Chocolate? chocolate. Yes. Exactly. Such a good book. It's such a great book. And she talks about that. When I read that book, I was like, yes, this is exactly what it's about. You put love into whatever you're doing, you know, you can access it. So it's so cool. Yeah. And I remember thinking about that in terms of like um, friends of mine who can be very sensitive, uh, energetically sensitive, actually won't eat in restaurants because depending upon who's cooking their food and how they're doing, you're literally eating that energy. Totally. And it always makes me think of like water for chocolate. Yeah. Those, uh, if you have never uh, read the book or seen the movie, I'd highly recommend it. And one of my favorite scenes is this, um, the, the, the cook is, um, is cooking all the food for her sister's wedding. And her sister is actually marrying the love of her life, but because she is the eldest daughter, she has to stay home with the parents until they pass away. Like that's the tradition. Yeah. So she can't marry her lover. So her lover is marrying her sister so that he can at least be in the house with her. Anyway, so she's cooking this beautiful, amazing meal 
I mean, uh, the descriptions are so good. And she's crying the whole time as she's making it. And then at the wedding, everybody, you know, it's this festive wedding and everybody starts eating. And then all everybody at the wedding yeah, starts to cry. cry. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 So I love that you brought that up and being really mindful. So just out of curiosity, if we are angry or upset, what should we do if we need to eat? Should we get somebody else to prepare us food? Like, what do you, what do you think, Insia? <laughs> Good question. Uh, you know, for me, um, I just, I usually, what I suggest is just take a break, like take a mini break, mm -hmm. you know, especially right now, you're going to, you're a, you're a new mama. You just you just step into that water, you know, of overwhelming emotion, right? And anger is just mm -hmm. anger is emotion. And you, if you can just pause, you know, almost step out of the wave of that emotion and go. So something that works for me is here. I just go for a little walk. I just go. I need to step outside. Mm. I need some space. I need space so yes. that this emotion can distill and move out and through me. And then I can come back and again, see with new clarity, you know, the situation, whatever that is. So hopefully taking a little mm -hmm. pause can help. And um, if all else fails, order takeout, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but honestly, if you're not, if you're um, not feeling, um, like this is something that you want to do in that moment, I, I actually say don't do it, you know, because then that just it creates that cycle of um, the other part too, I think it creates is, you know, you're, you want to give from a place of love and you don't want to give from a place yes. of guilt and, um, and um, duty and obligation, right? So yes. get really clear about that. Why are you why are you making this offering? What is it about? And because food is offering, food is offering to life. And um, yes. and how can you um, how can you shift that in, in your own perspective? Yeah. That is awesome. Thank you. Order <laughs> takeout or go for a walk. Yes. I love it. Because yeah. definitely there are moments where you are, you know, you are in like people need to eat and you are in in a process, let's say, or yeah. feeling a very strong emotion. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, that's a, a beautiful way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. We're lucky we live in a world where we have those choices, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Right at our fingertips. I'm I know. not far from very good food, which I feel very blessed mm -hmm. with, for sure. Um, just to kind of bring that up in terms of me being a new mother, is there, I actually haven't talked to, I haven't talked about uh, or with any Ayurvedic uh, counselors in terms of what to do for postpartum, are there any are any, any tips that you would uh, you would offer to myself as well as any new moms who might? Think? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the big thing that you have to think about when you have a baby is you know the body changes, the physiology of the body changes a lot, and Ayurvedically speaking, you're gaining more earth element, so more water and some more fluid in the body to keep the baby mm -hmm. safe. And mm -hmm. you're also amassing more earth, right? So the kapha grows, and that's what allows the baby to be sustained and to be nourished. Um, because you're, you know, kapha is um, like the kapha is love. Kapha is like the feeling of a warm hug, and literally you're hugging your baby inside your belly all the time, so it feels mm. safe and nourished and nurtured. Mm. When you have a baby, when you actually give birth. Um, what happens in 
the mama's body and obviously for the baby too it's a big it's a big journey to come out into the world away from this watery fluid um soft um space that it's been living in now specifically when i think about the moms is you're going through position physiologically in the body the organs need to find their own space and regain their home in your body as it previously was um, and there's this that's created i remember that feeling i felt like in, in your you know when baby comes out and um i remember it was just all this skin right mm-hmm. and nobody about that you know it's like all of a sudden you've got all this skin and I'm going oh this is emptiness right yes and and that, that whenever there's clean and quick changes vata goes high and when vata which is an ether element in ayurveda um is heightened um things this feeling the nerves the, the the mind the mental chatter starts yes. to happen ask yourself you're like oh my god what is going on and and the body's trying to process yes. and find um find it up but you're in this in this new normal if you will and you haven't quite caught up and so ayurveda always tries to treat the body first because if you can um safeguard the body and sustain the body the mind will calm down right so i think mean, postpartum depression and that anxiety that you feel is very normal it's actually the, it, it's what's going to happen and gets stuck over there what you start to do is go okay how can i keep the body warm how can i make the body feel more nurtured so we do this by yes. applying oil on the body so massage is really good abhyanga for after postpartum um using sesame oil would be really nice especially in a colder climate and if the vata is high yes yeah, so if you're somebody yes. who generally has like cold hands cold feet use sesame oil um especially after in those first um few months after having the baby um eat nourishing foods so things like soupy stews and i kind of do a postpartum um protocol with new moms um which is like this is what you eat for week 1 week 2 week 3 week 4 week 5 beautiful another mm-hmm. big thing i talk about is make a cocoon for yourself yes. so when you, yeah and i wondered you 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 probably did this naturally if you you know because you're very in tune with yourself but one of the big things is you know there's this kind of like when you give birth your senses it's like your sensory perception extends way beyond your field and then you kind of have to like rebuild if you will yes. your boundary around your koshas right you kind of have to reset yes. yourself and in order to do that you have to be really mindful about whatever influences you're bringing back into your life so i really talk about the first 6 weeks as being the sacred cocoon and you just distill out whatever energy you don't want to come in so people conversations smells 
all that stuff. Like, really clear. Like, what do you want in your life? What do you not want? And this is all going to help you to regain your strength and mm-hmm. uh, and be able to then go back out into the world with this new self because you have yes. changed. Yes. You know, and, and then for the baby, too, very similar things, um, keeping them close, keeping them warm, um, and um, oil massage for the baby as well. Yeah. Just for our listeners, Infi, if you can uh, describe what the koshas are. You mentioned that as you're rebuilding the koshas after giving birth to the baby, um, just insight for listeners who don't know what the coaches yeah. are. So that's can five, go into what that five is. bodies. And so the idea, um, and Clara, you can jump in here too, because I'm going to forget the order of all of them. I know I am. But um, basically, we go from um, the external body in through the layers. And the, there's a food body, which is, um, oh my God. Uh, Anamaya Kusha. So Anna is food. Your um, your main um, body, if you will, or a layer of yourself that interacts with the world, and then you have the pranamaya kosha or the manamaya. And pranamaya kosha is your energy. Prana. Yeah. Then you have the manamaya kosha, which is the mind, the mental body. Then the Vijnanamaya Kosha, which is the okay. wisdom body. And then the Anandamaya Kosha, which is Ananda is bliss. So the bliss body, that eternal self that exists deep within. And the idea is, um, from an Ayurvedic perspective, and yoga really, is that we are constantly filtering in information to all of these bodies all the time. So it's... Um, and 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 in, and to correlate that, one of the things I always say is everything is food. Yeah. So everything yes. that we in is food. It's not just the actual food that's feeding the anamaya kosha or the physical bones, the the blood, the the organ systems in your body. It's all the sensory perception that comes in as well. That is food too. And so when we were talking about emotions as well. Mm-hmm. That is food as well, because it's all filtering Mm -hmm. inside of you. And so, again, to bring it back to that postpartum example, what happens, and this is, I think, why for so many women, um, when they give birth, um, they talk about feeling really connected to something so much larger than themselves because you're plugging into kind of um, all these aspects of yourself, you know, and yes. and then kind of you've um, like like I was talking about it before. Another way I think about it is the veils kind of shift a little bit. I mean, you're so close to death and life, you know. There's something yes. something really cosmic happening there. And so then you have to kind of pull back from that because every part of you is kind of open in terms of all of literally this and all of the koshas. And then you have to kind of pull it back. Why do you need to pull it back so that you can go come return to living in this life? Right? You're not. So you're yeah, not the material. 
right? So you're back because you you need to be back in your body. Your baby needs you. It's a very physical um, resonant place that you need to come back to, right? But you're also super connected to something cosmic and very sacred. So so when I think mm-hmm. about the mm-hmm. method, um, really think about how they open up and you are in that place of like eternal bliss, right? And when you meet your baby, you're in that, oh my God. And then you have to again go, okay, this will be there, this will be there, but I need to come back to find all these parts of myself and my center again. I love that you keep mentioning the idea of like protection because you also spoke earlier in the beginning when you said you wear jewelry as a type of protection in Tia. Mm-hmm. So can you perhaps list like three to five of the things you do for yourself that are along the lines of Ayurveda that you you do to kind of stay within your healthiest self and you feel protected and you feel supported and nourished? Like what are some of the rules you live by and the things that you do for yourself? For sure. Um, and there's a word I'll mention too that I think is really beautiful or a concept um, that comes from Ayurveda and it's a Sanskrit word, um, Dinacharya, which you may have heard of. And mm-hmm. Dina is day and Acharya means to be um, a master of, to have mastery of yes. something, right? So it's this really beautiful idea that every single day that you live, you have the opportunity to live your best self and to master that day. And Ayurveda gives you a bunch of protocols and things that you can do every single day. And a lot of them are early in the morning. Um, (laughs) So I always tell people, if you want to really do Ayurveda, no, I'm joking, but you do. (laughs) First few hours of your day doing all of these things. But... (laughs) But um, don't do anything else. Yeah, <laughs> it will be great. But but really, do a couple of them. It's amazing. So I'll share a few practices that I do every single day. And these are, and this is this is what is so great about Ayurveda is, um, it really comes from this precept that the biggest thing you need in life is your health. Why do you need yes. your health? You need your health so that you can serve and be here for whatever purpose you were put on earth to achieve and to fulfill. If you don't have good health, you're going to be struggling all the time to try to achieve your goals, right? And so I always go back to to that perspective. It's like, it's really simple. It's very practical. You can have all of these ideals and all of this all of this, you know, pent up energy and all these wishes. But if you don't have the, the help of your physical body to help you to get there, and if your body isn't working at its optimal level, you're just going to be frustrated. And that's just going to create all sorts of different imbalances. Mm-hmm. So yes. all these practices are really ways, if you will, of keeping the physiology functioning well. And another way I think of it also, especially in these times, now is to strengthen your aura which is your first line of immunity it's your first line of defense right so when i talk about boundary and protection i'm really talking about how can i make sure that every this this energy field that i carry around me is strengthened and happy so that even if i bump into things i'm not yeah 
Yeah. So that's really what it's about. So things that I do every single morning, I wake up in the morning, splash cool water in my eyes. Very simple. I think everybody does that. I use a tongue scraper, a copper tongue scraper to scrape my tongue. And what this does is two things. It just takes away the previous day's um, accumulation of toxins from the tongue and stimulates um, the digestive system as you start to secrete salivary en enzymes and you start to kind mm -hmm. of um, awaken peristalsis a little bit. Yeah. You, okay. I'm waking up. So it's a really nice you go from the back of your tongue to the front and I even get my son to do this occasionally he says mom it makes me feel like I'm going to throw up but I'm also I'll just do it lightly just a little bit from <laughs> back to the front um, so that's one practice and then I drink um, a cup of water with lemon and the warmth works for me because I have a lot of vata so it kind of warms up my um, gut a little bit and helps again to stimulate peristalsis so you go to the bathroom without needing a cup of coffee in the morning yeah. which a lot of people rely on right to get the colon yeah. stimulated and uh, you want to go ideally to the bathroom in the morning because good time for elimination is vata which is all about um, movement and movement systems in the body um, specifically elimination is active in the early morning so it's a really good time to go to the bathroom and you're in with your rhythms and so it's mm. easier to go to the bathroom in the morning and um, Ayurveda talks a lot about good digestion as being really really key to having good health we're now figuring out in the west with all the conversations around the microbiome and gut health and, yes. and also understanding how many people have digestive issues in life, right? And definitely in the yoga community, I see it a lot, a lot, a lot. Everyone's got digestive issues. And when you have digestive issues, which is also why I came into Ayurveda myself personally, is you have a lot of anxiety. And then it becomes yes. this self-perpetuating cycle of like the anxiety then creates even more of an imbalance that and then your body just can't let right these are all practices to help stimulate good digestion and then the next thing I do and this is something I do everywhere in the world no matter where I am is I just give myself a, a, a light abhyanga with um, sesame oil usually for me sometimes I'll use almond oil too the sesame oil if it's cold and I take about two cups um half a cupful of the oil warmed up and I just apply it on my body with light strokes all the way from the extremities to the center, feet, arms, a um, little bit in the ears, a little bit in the nostrils um, and sort of all the crevices of the body. And then 15, 20 minutes after that, I'll have a warm shower. And in that period in between, I might do a little bit of yoga practice so even if it's five sun salutations a few seated poses some twists something like that um, just to get the energy moving or I might go for a walk or recently I haven't been able to do too much but I can get on a bicycle so I'll go for a little bicycle mm -hmm. ride and get um, the sweat going so that the, my body absorbs the oil 
And what I'm doing with that oil is letting um, the body um, soften and um, not be so dry from the inside out. Because when you have a lot of vata, um, which a lot of us have, by the way, right now, because it is the prevalent tendency in our life, because we live in a very fast-paced, quick world. Um, so vata is high. Um, and of us are using our minds a lot. So our nervous systems are always really amped up. Um, so these are all ways of kind of cooling and soothing the nervous system. And what does the Abhyanga do for the body specifically? Like what, what is that process? Uh, what is, what is, what it is the process of Abhyanga mm-hmm. in, in the body? So it's um, self-oleation. So you're actually putting oil into the body. And what oil is, oil, um, so you're putting a warming oil generally. Um, if you are somebody who runs cold, if you were someone who ran really hot and you know you had a very reddish complexion, your hands, your feet are very hot, I would recommend an oil um, like a coconut oil um, mm. instead of um, sesame. And um, if you were someone who had a lot of kapha in the system, uh, which is a lot of um, the water elements, so your slightly bigger bone has on your body, I wouldn't recommend sesame. I would say use um, sunflower or even almond oil because those would be a little mm-hmm. more balancing. But what the oil does is it um, helps to um, bring more lubrication really into the joints, um, into um, it softens um, the dryness, obviously, at the skin. Um, and it combats the, the dryness that is a tendency of vata, the yes. dryness and the sharpness. So if you think about oil, it's fluid and, so, and, and soft, right? So it's kind of creating an emollient quality um, and a moist quality in the body. And so the moisture helps to balance the dryness and dryness the mental as well so by that i mean kind of a sarcastic attitude in mm. life a dryness mentally and how you speak mm. and how you interact with the world so it literally kind of makes you softer from the inside out and they also say it's a practice of self-love so literally when you're putting the oil in your body you're actually saying you know i you are i am precious I love myself. I am infusing myself with love. And you're also grounding the body. Like when you apply the oil on your feet, you're literally pulling energy back down into yes. the physical body. Yeah. So you're, you're helping yourself not be up here in that mental chatter, but you're bringing yeah. everything down so the body can feel and can be um, in conversation. I love this idea. I never thought of Abhyanga that way. Um, I'm I going to share uh, my experience of it, but I love this idea of the softness and the, and also suppleness 
is like yeah. another part I feel like it gives, especially as we get older and yeah. all bodies tend to go more towards Vata. We're drying out a bit, um, yeah. especially like compared to a little baby, uh, feeling a baby's skin versus my skin is very different. Yeah. Um, but I also, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, oh, this is, yep, yeah. it's like 40 yeah, years between us. Um, high in kapha, right? Like babies are like, yes, kapha, so high. Born, I mean, like we, the chub yeah. and the rolls of fat and stuff. Oh. Um, and, and we, yeah. and it's so precious and we love it and if you think about every cosmetic company in the world what they're trying to do and every they're trying to sell you exactly it's like oh get rid of all yes. the wrinkles but you know what this is life too this happens but we can alleviate the effects of it by these practices so i i'll even put oil on my face and massage it in um in mm-hmm. the mornings and that's mm-hmm. been a beautiful practice as well to again mm-hmm. bring softness back into the body yeah can I ask what oil you put on your face? Um, yeah, I've, actually right now I've been using, I found a really nice sesame oil here. So I just use that mm, and okay. um, I put, uh, I'll mix it with a little bit of jojoba or almond oil. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. The other thing that I love about Abiyanga is it also pulls uh, toxins. Um, when you're doing like a full Abiyanga, it pulls toxins from um, the tissue, which I always have to remind people when we do it, and also when I do it, is because I get very nauseous from it. Yeah, I find that yeah, it really pulls a, full a lot. With, like the yeah, full abiyanga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pulling. Um, it's pulling literally toxins from the tissues where things can get stagnant back into the bloodstream, and then eventually in the colon, and then you hang out. And so, so cool. um, you know. It's so cool. And ideally, you would do that with um, taking in some internal ghee, which is also yes. internal oleation. And what that also does is help to pull everything out of the body. And then you just poop it all out, which is the body's natural gateway yes. for getting rid of toxins, as yes. is sweat, right? So, so we want these processes to work really, really, really well. We don't want to hold toxins in the body. We want slow resuscitation. Yes. And we always know how well we're doing, but but... (laughs) go ahead, Stephanie. (laughs) No, Claire, finish what you were saying. I feel like yours is funny and then I'll. (laughs) I was just going to say, and it's the same uh, as well as China is like we talk, they talk so much about your bowel movements because you really know how healthy you are in terms of how well you're eliminating, right? How well your body is actually yeah. getting rid of. So I love this, again, the idea of not only the abiyanga. I didn't, I had actually had never done, I've never done ghee with the abiyanga, ingesting ghee. That makes perfect sense because then it pulls everything from yeah. from what's holding on to the side. Yeah. Uh, like your digestive yeah, tract and pulls it down. And, and yet so it's cool. a very, um, it's, it's like a slow process, right? And this is, the, this is a thing that I think is important too, is Ayurveda is not an, it's not an overnight fix. Mm-hmm. It never will be. Um, it's, the, um, and the reason it's not is the body, and I, and I think it makes so much sense when you think about it, especially when you compare it to like really intense Western detoxes and people doing, you know, like the these cleanses with like um, maple syrup and lime and, you know, all those things and not eating for 10 or 20 days, whatever they do. But um, Ayurveda says that 
in order for the body to achieve harmony, you need to not put it under intense stress, right? When you overstress the body, the body actually wants to hold on to things. It becomes like this. When you can create gentle shifts, we're so much more likely to commit to them and hold on to that new way of being because it, we're getting there in this slow, steady way. So in, it's very sustaining in that way versus like, okay, I'm going to lose all this weight in you know in ten days, and then I'm going to be I'm going to feel great. No, you're not because now your body, your agni, your digestify, everything's messed up, and you, it's going to take you a long time to re-find yourself again. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask, and everyone can can answer this question. Along the lines of uh, MTA, you mentioned earlier in terms of how right now as a society, we're all a lot more living in our heads. There's a lot of anxiety swirling. Now, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, we're going into the colder months, darker earlier. So Intia, if you can speak to how, from an Ayurvedic perspective, we can pacify each of the doshas or just for ourselves, like what are some grounding, nourishing rituals to bring that down, bring the anxiety down and to connect to ourselves so we are allowed to soften and open and we're not hanging on to the stress that you're talking about. Um, and then also for Incia, Clara, and myself, if you can share a story around like what you do to alleviate stress, like what's a ritual in your day when you start feeling uptight or when you're, you know, traveling, you're out of sorts, what are some of the things that bring you back to your center so you can soften and release no matter what's going on around you? Okay, great questions. Um, so the big one right now, I think for the Northern Hemisphere, for you guys, is um, really to get as much daylight as you possibly can into your system. So step outside, even if you're at work, make sure you get a walk, ideally, if you're in a city, that's fine, but try to look at something in nature, whether it's a tree, birds, listening to bird song, um, get yourself out of that, you know, that heady space that you're in and make sure you step on the earth, if you will. And um, I know you're lucky in Vancouver, there's so many beautiful parks and you've got the ocean right there and so many beaches. So I know you can find that, but for anyone else, wherever you are, make sure you step outside and touch something that belongs to the earth. Mm -hmm. um, the earth has immense healing properties and Ayurveda really is a science or art of living in harmony with nature. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. So live according to circadian rhythms, meaning wake up as early as you possibly can so that you have time in the morning for a few of those rituals that we talked about. Uh, the massage, the apyanga itself is very grounding and again, brings you out of the head into your body. Um, have a light breakfast, nothing too heavy and make lunch your main meal of the day um, because your digestive fire is at its optimal, your metabolism is at its highest at lunchtime so you can digest heavier foods better and make dinner a lighter, smaller meal. So for example, last night, speaking of dal, we just had a little bowl of dal and some quinoa for dinner. 
and that was enough. You don't need a lot of food at nighttime because your body actually wants to not spend, expend too much energy on digesting the food at night, but instead it wants to digest your hormones well so that you can start to send good signals to the physiology for the next day and what your body actually needs. Um, so um, those are three things. Another thing I would also recommend is, um, and this is a big one, is get off of your devices as early as you can in the evening and make sure you have at least an hour between putting your devices away to when you get yourself to bed. And when you go to bed, and the reason with that is, again, being on your phone, being on your computer increases vata. It's a whole, a whole lot of information, sensory information coming at you really, really, really fast. And you're, you're, you can't actually process it. You're, um, so your body's yeah. kind of in a state of um, shock. Totally. Will, yeah. the time. And then you're trying to go from there to bed, and then your mind's still going to be awake and you're going to be spinning, right? So instead, what I recommend is um, turn off your devices, light a candle in your bedroom. It's not just for romance, it's also for <laughs> sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I do it both. Um, but it's so important, get, get out of, you know, turn off all the bright lights, Think about how we used to live in a time yes. when we didn't have electricity and what, how much more we would sleep in the winter. And, um, and then um, put a little bit of sesame oil on the soles of your feet at night, um, maybe with a little bit of lavender mixed in. And that will also, <laughs> again, pull energy down and help to calm the nerves down so you will sleep better. And a good sleep is probably your best ticket to a good next day. Yeah. And I can tell you uh, for me personally too, um, when we were kind of going through the height of all of the craziness with um, COVID and coronavirus, I, I went through, and this is unusual for me, but I went through almost, I would say about three weeks of really not sleeping well. And, and it, and it was all of these practices that, again, I, I just had to commit and go, okay, put my phone away. Do not listen to the news headlines. Do not read anything anymore. You have the information. You know what you need to do to stay healthy. Just do those things. Commit to that and stop worrying about <laughs> everything going on in this corner of the world and that corner of the world. I mean, we're living in an age where everything is accessible and everything comes at us all the time. So we have to be more vigilant now more than ever to um, figure out how to, you know, to pacify ourselves and to keep calm. And, um, you know, your other question was about, you know, how to pacify all the other doshas. Well, the thing is, vata dosha is the lightest. So it's the first one to go out of balance for most of us. And, and if you think about so many of so many sort of pivotal world events that have been happening this year, um, some really intense things, um, such as even, you know, um, this, 
the, the murder of George Floyd, for example, the, the reason that everything, you know, went to the level that it did was because of technology and this consistent replaying of these images and the intensity and the velocity at which everything traveled. And I'm not saying this is a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying that this is where it all comes from is that quickness and the, the inker element is just yeah, carrying all of this all the time, right? And, and then we're trying to react and we're trying to, we don't even know how we feel about things. Totally. But then we're being to feel a certain way and that's being fed into us and then we all react, right? Yeah, so no totally. Problem, right? So, so this is why I keep talking about Vata so much because it's very important to stay, to keep Vata down and to keep Vata more in balance. Then you can start to work with the other imbalances that might exist, whether it's with Pitta or with Kapha. Yeah, and I feel, right? and I feel like what's happening right now in the, like, everybody's talking about anxiety. Like there's like, there's so much anxiety yeah. happening. There's so much unknown going on in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's like exactly. that all, yeah, all we can do. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's all that we can do to be like, what's going to happen tomorrow? Because like you said, Incia, it's been not only like COVID, but it's, you know, like it's the Black Lives Matter. So much been happening and, and like, it's, it's an interesting time period, but I, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so it's been an interesting time period. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's um, and that's pretty much yeah, and that's my point is it's coming at us so quickly that we can't process it. Yeah, and and when you think about it, um, it's again what what goes is our ability to digest all of that information, and we're holding all of that stuff in our bodies, which then again creates anxiety, creates these imbalances in our digestion, our physical digestion, and then our mental digestion, our ability to process emotions, our ability to talk, to feel, and to let go, right? So we need, we don't have um, the release valves. Um, they're not, they're not always open in the way that they should be, right? So, um, so that's what's going on. And so I would say too, in terms of the other doshas, so Pitta is again, the mental intensity quite often, and then heat in the body. So I would really um, suggest some really simple practices like turning off um, your phone, getting off of any um, dialogues and conversations that breed intensity, right? That get you into an argumentative mode. So you really have to watch that. And then, um, Using um, possibly some aromatherapy like rose, um, pure rose essence is actually really great to calm Pitta. And you can apply some right here at your heart, um, at your pulse points um, to kind of alleviate um, the Pitta energy and eat cooling foods, not spicy foods. By that, I don't mean cold foods. So Pitta of all the doshas is probably the one that can handle green juices the best. Um, not Vata so much, um, but um, if you um, if you can have more bitter greens in your diet, cooked bitter greens like kale and mustard greens, collards, chard, things like that would be really good to again um, keep pitta going and keep your bile moving 
so it yeah. doesn't uh, stagnate. Because um, bile, again, again, this is similar to the Chinese system, will hold anger and emotion and frustration. And you want it to move out of the body. You want it to be excreted well. Um, for kapha, which is a big one, actually. And um, oh, and the other thing with pitta is um, decreased coffee. It's a very pitta yeah. aggravating drink because <laughs> coffee makes you hot and um, uh, increases your stomach acid, if you will. So it's just going to amp up the pitta. And you can observe that very quickly in people who are hot hot-headed and run hot and are kind of um, passionate, if you will. And then they drink some coffee and then it's like, oh, all systems go, right? So um, so watch the coffee. And if you do have coffee, have it with a lot of milk. So have a latte, this is an espresso, for example. And then uh, for kapha, um, especially as we go into the darker months and the darker seasons, um, make sure you move. So you release stagnation. So for kapha in particular, of all the three sort of main doshic types, if you will, whether you have a you know prevalence of one dosha, if you have high kapha in your body, a good, strong, focused vinyasa practice is good because it helps to release stagnation. The problem is the people who want to do that flowy, strong vinyasa practice is usually the vata. Right, somebody who has prevalence of vata, because when you have an imbalance, you want more of that, whatever that quality is, because it's going to make you feel more light and more airy, if you will. But kapha needs that because kapha tends to be heavy, and they actually need a little fire under their butt, if you will, to get them going, and then they can move the stagnation, move the emotion and get into more of a place of balance. Thank you. That was awesome. Yes. That oh was so, awesome. so much. Great Wonderful. takeaways from that one. Good. I know I didn't give you my, I didn't give you a story, but hopefully there was a story in there. <laughs> that was great. No, that was absolutely uh, exquisite. Thank you. Like, again, everybody can kind of relate to one part of that. And so to have just extra tips extra tips to make this especially this time a little bit easier <laughs> yes 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 yeah just you know biggest takeaway for me always is every single day is a new chance to yeah. be healthy it's a new chance to be fully yourself yes and you have a chance to wake up every single day and go hey today is a new day so what can I do today that can reshape things in the way that I want? Because this is your life. It's your yes. one life in this lifetime, anyhow. And you have you have choice within it. Right? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Thank you. Oh, that was awesome. That I'm was like so just great. sitting with that last sentence. You have choice every day. Yeah, chewing on that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Every day to be our You're best welcome. selves. welcome. Thanks for having me. It's making me so connected back to home. Yeah. Well, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's yeah, it's a gift to have you. If people and see, are you doing um, consultations online or just in um, person? I can do online. As you, well. uh, like, how can people yeah, find so, you? Yeah, Tell so me. reach me on my website, which is yog www.yog.ca, which is both a play on the Indian pronunciation of yoga, which is yoga, Vogue. and also a play on Vogue, but yog. So um, spelled. Yeah, I love and, it. Uh, so you can just send me an email to hello at yoke.ca and you can find me there and we can organize something. Um, it's been interesting being here in Bali. I've um, been working a lot with um, actually postpartum mamas. So I've done a few workshops to help them find themselves kind of in pregnancy and beyond. And I'm also um, been working with a few clients with eating disorders, which is a new area for me. Um, but again, working the Ayurvedic way so necessary. Yeah, to really help people rekindle their agni and um, slowly start to be able to digest food and life um, with um, the again. vitality. Yeah. So it's been a, I'm learning lots all the time and I'm just so excited to share this work with more people. Awesome. Thank you. We'll include all of Incia's information on uh, on the write-ups, so you'll you find it there if you uh, if you want to find Incia. It was an absolute gift to have you, and um, yeah, I've, I'm I'm walking away with ritual and beauty. I love how you started that and, mm -hmm. and ended it. So so thank you. Lucy, thank you so much, much for too. having me. And, Thanks, uh, Stephanie. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. And what is your baby's name? Yeah, thank you. My baby's name is Carmen, Carmen. with a K. Okay. Yeah, Carmen Sophia. Carmen Sophia. Mm -hmm. Carmen Sophia. Many blessings. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And thanks, Steph. Um, and, and yeah, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Practice with Clara app. That's mine. I've created almost 100 yoga classes for you to do at home or on the go. And they're available to you on your favorite device, including mobile, desktop, and TV. These classes include vinyasa, slow flow, hatha, restorative, yin, mantra, meditation. I also just had a baby, so I created prenatal yoga for all four trimesters. So head over to clararobertsoss.com slash join to learn more. Or search for the Practice with Clara app at your favorite app store. There's a seven-day free trial, so no commitment. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We've got lots of good stuff in store for you. Until next time, namaste. Namaste.